Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Mr. Wynn, let's uh, let's pick up with Buffalo and the upcoming schedule. Yeah, no question about it, right, Tim? It's a te- it's a team with Super Bowl aspirations, and uh, in a matchup against a division rival, we get it. You've got the storylines of Bill Belichick and his and his winning percentage, and an opportunity to get three hundred his three hundredth win in the regular season. But uh, it's a Patriots team that has struggled, without question, right? And the expectation is that Buffalo is kind of be able to kind of run rough shot, and it just did not transpire that way. And you got to be impressed, right, with Mac Jones being able to kind of lead that team down the field uh, and and to make the plays when they needed to be made to win a football game. And that's exactly what he did. And uh, I don't know how much uh, I, I got off as far as, uh, you know, myself babbling before, but uh, being well aware of that uh, fan base there in Boston and in the New England area when it comes to all things Patriots, uh, you know, there's been there's been some discussion as to whether or not Mac Jones is the guy. Um, thoughts as far as uh, what direction this team is going and what, you know, Robert Kraft should do as far as a team. Maybe this uh, kind of fends off those people for a little while, getting a victory over a team that's expected to be in the mix when it comes to a Super Bowl championship and a trip to Las Vegas uh, for the big game coming up in uh, February. Yeah, Bill's now four and three on the season, but only a game behind the Dolphins, Chris, who lost tonight's Sunday night matchup over on NBC, 31-17 against the Eagles. Eagles now 6-1 and one last year's runners-up in the, in the big game. On Looks, uh, appear to be positioning themselves as a favorite again to get back there. Hurts, three touchdowns total, two in the air, one on the ground, and just uh, the Eagles. This, you know, Eagles, I think, was another team that we had talked about as maybe not showing their full, what you would expect the Eagles to be with all that talent there. They looked really good tonight, Chris, in this win. Yeah, give credit where credit is due when it comes to Jalen Hurts, right, Tim Oglesby? Uh, in that second half, he needed a brace on his left leg to kind of, you know, kind of power through things. And then he kind of shook that off there and was able to kind of stand tall in the pocket and, and uh, lead that go-ahead scoring drive now i uh, i have some concerns and uh you know, tim it's you know fantasy worthy when it comes to that because <laughs> i have Jalen hurts on my team but that being said aj brown commented after the game and was uh was very positive talking about him saying look i don't want to put his business out there but just know that he's a tough individual and he puts us in good positions to win um and jalen that was apparently evident when he uh rebounded right from that pick six to hit to to hit brown with that winning touchdown on the next drive and he ends up throwing for almost 280 uh, and combined for three touchdowns, including, uh, you know, a Jalen Hurts, uh, you know, let's push him into the end zone touchdown. That's become a normal thing for this Philly team every single game. But uh, look, the Miami Dolphins, I still, even after this loss, Tim, I got to say, and I want your take on this, I'm not sour on this Miami Dolphins team. I know they're sitting at five and two right now. I know that they scored 17 points on the road up there in the city of brotherly love, but I just can't find myself, Tim. I can't find myself to start bagging on Mike McDaniel and this team just yet. I think that, uh, you know, it's going to be a bump in the road, so to speak, in this matchup. But uh, I still think that uh, they are absolutely positively right there when it comes to all things the AFC. Oh, yeah. Too too much talent there, right? The offense is just structured. If two is – 
this is the thing. If you look at Tua's career, right, Chris? If he's healthy, he presents issues just like Jalen Hurts presents issues uh, in the at the quarterback position. And then you add the weapon that Tyreek Hill is into that offense, and they are they're they're a dynamo. Really, if you look at the two losses, who'd they lose to? Two teams that potentially could be playing in the Super Bowl this year in Buffalo on the road and Philly on the road as well. They got a matchup with the Chiefs coming up in a couple weeks, but other than that, the next six weeks they should be. If you if you're going by what you what you see, Miami should go five and one in the next six games. If that loss is, comes to the Chiefs, they should. That being said, you know they have to play the games like we always talk about, Chris. But no, I, I 100% agree with you that Miami's still a top-notch favorite. I, I kind of want to look at Philly though, real quick. Philly should have won that game last week against the Jets. That, just mm-hmm. a total mental letdown there on that team. They should be undefeated. They have a tough schedule coming up here in a couple weeks. They get Washington next week. That's a rivalry game on the road. Then they get, again, divisional matchup, Dallas at Kansas City, Buffalo, San Francisco, and then Dallas again. We're going to know what the Eagles are made of here come Christmas time. Yeah, you want to talk about a gauntlet, right, Tim? And you take a look at some of these teams. You want to talk about Super Bowl aspirations for teams? There's a there's a solid contingent right there in just that short period of time, when you're talking about three or four weeks, that Philadelphia's going to deal with. They're going to need more big plays like they got in that fourth quarter tonight, right, Tim, where they're up 24-17 in the fourth, and Tua goes deep with that pass intended for Raheem Mostert. And then, uh, you know, big play Darius Slay. You know, the goal line gets that interception, and it was a key point in this football game that kind of led to the Eagles being able to expand their lead by 14 points in this game and get the victory. They're going to need more plays like that against uh, some of the competition that they're going up against in the in the coming weeks because it is absolutely going to be a telltale sign, Mr. Ugglesby, how good this team can be with the uh, gauntlet of a schedule that they face. Let's stay in the AFC. We'll look at Kansas City now 6-1 and one after a 31-17 home win over the L.A. Chargers. If you like scoring, it was all in the first half. These two teams – Going into the break, it was 24-17. In the second half, just one touchdown was scored in the fourth quarter. Final, 31-17. Patrick Mahomes, though, Chris, 424 yards, four touchdowns. Kelsey, 12 for 180 and a touch. And that was, not only was Kansas City's offense in sync, but the defense really came to play, and and, uh, they looked really good today as well. This is a Kansas City team, Tim, that – Became the first Super Bowl champion ever to lose its season opener to the Detroit Lions and then rip off six straight wins. That's how good the football team is. Look, Pat Mahomes, here's the deal. He's a guy that can that can throw up monster stats. Tim, did it not feel like in that first half that you could see Pat Mahomes maybe go for 600 yards passing and, and you know five or six touchdown passes? That's the way it seemed. And don't even get me started on Travis Kelsey, right? He had... 12 catches for almost 180, 179, and a touchdown. But uh, if you listen to the announcers in that game, they were making, they were having discussions about, uh, you know, passing Shannon Sharp for all-time numbers when it came to a tight end. So the point being is the Chiefs are explosive as all get out. And uh, that, that was on display early on in this football game. But it was kind of puzzling, wasn't it? When you watch this game, the second half, and uh, again, I bring up fantasy football again because I had an eye on this game because I was playing against Pat Mahomes. But the, but my entire point being is that 
hey, I mean, it, it, the second half was just not that way when it came to the Chiefs. It was almost like they were kind of treading water in this football game in the second half. Yeah, you did have that late touchdown pass that uh, Mahomes threw, obviously, to Pacheco. That kind of, you know, kind of sealed the deal for them. But uh, this game was twenty was 24 to 17 for a long time. And uh, interesting to see uh, Hardiman back in that Kansas City Chiefs uniform, right? He had that uh, big that uh, big return on special teams that kind of got uh, got the crowd fired up as well, too. But uh, uh, make no mistake about it. This is a Kansas City Chiefs team that, uh, despite the, the, you know, the opening season loss to the upstart Detroit Lions, they are as much as anybody in the AFC in the mix to win a Super Bowl again and to repeat. That's how good this team is. And uh, Andy Reid had pretty much the uh, understatement of the season, Tim, in the postgame press conference talking about Kelsey and and Pat Mahomes. When they're they're on the same page, that's a challenge for any defense. Uh, You think, really? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) come on. You're talking about Travis Kelsey and Pat Mahomes. So uh, pretty much uh, not a shocker to see what uh, Kansas City was doing, particularly in the first half there from an offensive standpoint. What a great move, like you said, by the KC front office to go back out and get Cole Hardman, who left in the offseason to the Jets, was supposed to be uh, part of the offense there for Aaron Rodgers. But if you look at the first six games, he had three targets his way. Not three receptions, because he had three targets as a Jet. They go out and pick him up. They know how to use him in that offense, obviously. You said it. He had the big special teams return to set up a touchdown. He also had a key first down to keep a drive going there late. And I think he just, for a, for an offense, I'm not going to say was struggling per se, but at times they just, other than Kelsey, who do you go to, right? Who's the established guy? They have a lot of youngsters there in KC, and maybe now Hardman brings them, uh, makes, makes Mahomes feel a little more comfortable out there when he needs a big play. And that's that third down, conversion into a first down that was a perfect example of it his only catch of the day but it was a huge catch and uh what's up with the san diego chargers chris i I used to love them when they were in san diego and i think mccoy's let's let's get the ink out let's let's sign the dotted line he's out of a job here if they don't do something soon and they are just struggling mightily since mike williams went out for the season yeah i was gonna actually boomerang that back to you because hearing brandon staley after the football game He's, he was captain obvious a little bit in the second half, right? Talking about how offensively they just weren't able to get any rhythm going whatsoever. Uh, you know, who ended up being as a team being shut out the final 15 minutes of this football game. Look, you want to give credit where credit is due when you're talking about the Kansas City defense, but this is a Chargers team that's really they're two and four right now. Um, I myself, I don't know, I, I can't remember off the top of my head what yourself or Tom Barton thought as far as far as the Chargers. And what expectations were this season? I would anticipate that it wasn't they were going to be two games under 500 after six games, and you know you're going to, you're going to go into a matchup against Kansas City, your division rival, who you have an opportunity to face multiple times, and yet your offensive line and your team offensively, period, can't figure out the Chiefs defensively when you end up uh, Justin Herbert ends on his back five times uh, against Kansas City. Uh, look, he had he had almost 260 passing and a touchdown, but two interceptions can't happen in a division game like this. And I, I mean, I guess you want to look at things glass half full. You know, Josh Palmer, you know, five catches for 133, and Joshua Kelly a decent game. But um, 
you know, look, it was almost like they were searching for answers after the game. Justin Herbert talked about this, saying they're a good – look, talking about Kansas City, saying they're a good defense. We did our best to move the ball. We just didn't execute enough. Uh, at a point, right, Tim, It ha- there has to be enough of the excuses and there has to be some solutions. And I don't know if that's going to be the case there in Los Angeles. Yes, formerly San Diego. And uh, this could be curtains for Brandon Staley. I mean, it really, I mean, you want to talk about coaches on the hot seat. I, I just don't see any scenario that presents itself in which this guy can end up keeping his job if this team does not finish over 500 and somehow, some way make the playoffs. Yeah, I think they have to make the playoffs for him to keep his job. And even then, if they get blown out in the first round, it's a good excuse to move on from them. And um, I mean, look, Look in the division, right, Chris? They're already three and a half games behind the Chiefs. They're not making that up. They're not winning that division. So now you got to hope for a wild card. And that is a, a tough road to hoe if you really look at the schedule and the teams that are above them. Not a good thing, too, Tim. Quick note, too. Uh, not great to see Austin Eckler limp off the field during the first half. Now, he did come back to the football game. But uh, it's worth keeping an eye on that. Also, you have uh, Everett also left in the second quarter with a quad injury there. So not not good news for the Chargers who will look to kind of get a jump start to their season with uh, a couple guys ailing on offense. Let's get uh, one more game in here. We'll take our, our first time out of the night. Green Bay at Denver. Ugly. Ugly game is all I can say. It's 9-0 at the break. Got a couple touchdowns in the second half for each team, but uh, really uh, Denver winning this one late. They get they get the 1917 win. Packers had a chance to get in position to kick the game-winning field goal. Jordan Love just threw a terrible, absolutely terrible pass into double coverage to put this game away for the Broncos. I don't I don't really know what to say about this, Chris. I mean, I think when you look at Denver, you knew there was going to be some type of a a change with Sean Payton coming in there, and he's going to have to have some time to, to put his his uh, style in there or his his look, however you want to do it. I don't ex- think he expected Russell Wilson to repeat his last year's performance of being terrible, but he's doing that. And then Green Bay, is this just a re- is it rebuild, right? Is that what we're talking about? Or are we talking about the Packers are just in a rebuild situation? But the more I watch Jordan Love, Chris, it through six games, I definitely see him – regressing rather than progressing yeah i gotta say tim when i take a look at this green bay team and you know myself and tommy obviously we have an interest because we're fans of teams in the nfc north i was thinking about this packer situation from a quarterback situation and it's not even don Mikowski, right tim like it's almost like it's worse than that that's right look we understand that this is a packers organization that has gone from brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, and it seemed like it was, what, like three decades where they had those two quarterbacks playing. But this has got to be just tough sledding for all all things cheesehead when it comes to this Green Bay team from the quarterback position. That being said, in this game, look, it was the end of Denver's kind of streak, right, where they blew halftime leads left and right. And it's the first time the Broncos were able to get like a home win under Sean Payton. And it came from kind of like an unexpected guy, right? Obviously, when you saw the uh, the – you know, uh, the ejection of Kareem Jackson, which, by the way, he's been booted out twice this year on the season. They they, they plug in uh, P.J. Locke into that situation, and uh, he basically helped, helped the Broncos from having that meltdown in the second half when he picks off that uh, Jordan Love pass deep in the closing minutes 
where he was trying to to uh, to link up with uh, Torre there just after the two minute warning, and essentially saves the game for Denver. But I'm not going to sit back and, and act like the Broncos are some formidable formidable squad or or team to look out for just because they pull out a you know an an improbable win over a Green Bay Packer team. You're talking about two teams that are two and four and two and five on the season. There's all kinds of question marks regarding both of these teams. Um, A.J. Dillon uh, was wide open on that play, by the way, and would have had a huge gain. But instead, uh, you know, Love uh, check ends up going to uh, the deep route, and it ends up not working out for them. So uh, on the clock, you, you, you know, you got Russell Wilson launching that deep heave on fourth and nine from his own 26 after taking the shotgun snap there with six seconds left. Uh, and the Packers just out of timeouts. Um, but, hey, I mean, it's just, it's just two teams, I think, that are really bad. And they happen to be in different conferences, so they're going to be really bad in both the AFC and FC. <laughs> That's the voice of the man, Chris Wynn, radio personality, Tim Unglesby. We got Angel back in the Lotus Broadcast Studios as we take our first time out of the evening when we come back. Oh, yeah, more. Week 7 of the NFL. Pittsburgh Steelers, have they turned a corner here early in the regular season as they start to march towards the second half of the se- of this season? Geno Smith looked good today against a bad Cardinal team, but a win is a win. And, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to the Baltimore Ravens pounding of Chris's Detroit Lions. I'm saving that one for last, though. Got to build it up. Soak in all the glory. Here on Heat Wave Sports, Major League Baseball, NHL, all that more up till the midnight hour. It is Heat Wave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio. Now back to Heat Wave Sports with Tim Unglesby. And Chris Wynn with you on a Sunday night, super Sunday night. Programming note, next Saturday. Guess what, Chris? Next Saturday, bumped for Vegas Golden Knights hockey. No! Say it isn't (laughs) so, Tim. Come on. But we'll be back for the super Sunday night edition of Heatwave Sports Week 8 in the NFL. But let's get back into Week 7. And we'll move over to Chicago, where the Chicago Bears are on fire, Tommy. I'm sorry, Chris. And they win game number two of the season at the hands of your Las Vegas Raiders. Breakout Tyson Badgett, Tim. Didn't mean it's time to get comfortable, right? Butterflies kind of went away after that first snap. Yeah, look, he led three touchdown drives in his first start with Justin Fields out. You had, uh, you know, Dante Foreman with a couple of touchdowns and caught a touchdown pass. And the Raiders going all Raiders. I mean, it's kind of puzzling, to be quite honest with you. And I got to get your take, Tim, because I understand the whole whole approach during the week where we understand Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to play and we're going to keep the Chicago Bears on their heels as far as whether or not we're going to have Brian Hoyer out there, right, or, you know, uh, or, or O'Connell. I kind of get that, right? But uh, it can't be great for cohesion when it's talking about your offense. And the Las Vegas Raiders, from an offensive standpoint in this football game, uh, left a lot to be desired. I guess that's the best way that I'm going to put it. When Josh Jacobs 
who is one of the top five talents. I focus on talents in the NFL at the running back position, has 11 carries for 35 yards. You have to be kidding me, okay? When Devontae Adams, <clears throat> Jacoby Myers, combined for 100, over 100 yards receiving between the two of them and 14 targets, you got to get more production than one touchdown in that situation, right? And I've been harping on this left and right, Tim, when it comes to Hunter Renfro. The guy has simply disappeared from this offense. He was a pro bowler, you know, a short time ago. We're talking about a guy that should be an important part of this offense. And I do not understand why, and let's be clear, if you bounce around social media after this football game, there's a lot of people that are in the know when it comes to all things Raiders and all things silver and black that are, you know, that are making claims regarding the offensive coordinator and how they should be, <laughs> how he should be getting a pink slip, you know, in the next hour or so. I don't understand the offensive philosophy that is the Las Vegas Raiders when you go into a game like this against the likes of the Chicago Bears. I do not understand it. I don't understand how Michael Mayer has just two targets in the game. I, you know, or essentially three, well, excuse me, three or four targets in the game. He had two catches in the game. I don't know what the Raiders are doing from an offensive standpoint, and it's got to be puzzling, and it's got to be infuriating for the people who are actually fans of all things Silver and Black and Raider Nation, Tim Ugglesby. I text you where we were texting, and I said, they're pathetic, man. This is the worst three and four team in the league. It does Take the records aside. I would say that the Card- you know, Cardinals are one and six, Chris. And I wouldn't say that the Raiders have a for sure win if they played ten times. I don't know if the Raiders could win five of those games against them. That that's how I look at the Raiders. Is it's so much talent? Like from a superstar perspective, they have so much talent, but yet can't produce on the field. And, and what was the big question mark when they basically jettisoned Carr? And the big thing was who are they going to bring in, right? And they bring in Jimmy G, which is fine. If he's healthy, he's at least serviceable. But he's not. He hasn't been healthy, and they bring the guy in, and guess what? He's not healthy again. So already you're putting yourself in a situation where you're hoping that the guy doesn't get hurt. Because what are you going to go to at that point? Oh well, we'll bring it. We got Hoyer for a veteran backup. That's fine. But you saw what <laughs> what Hoyer looked like today, and that's with rep, full reps this week in practice because they knew. More than likely, Garoppolo wasn't going to play. Oh, and then you have idiot fans out here. Oh, put O'Connell in. He's awesome. And, I, you know, they were killing McDaniels in the postgame about why O'Connell didn't play. But I agreed with Josh McDaniels in this case. That's preseason, right, Chris? You can't base everything off that. And if the guy can't win the starting job during the week in tra- in uh, during practice, he he's not going to – look, the touchdown that he had on the drive in the fourth quarter doesn't even matter because this game was over. I, I just – it kills me because I know true Raider fans listening. There are true hardcore Raider fans, and they will agree with me when they say, when I say Aiden O'Connell is not the savior of the Las Vegas Raiders. So let's just get that out of there. I don't know what they're going to do if Jimmy G can't play next week, Chris, but uh, it's a coin flip on who you start. But either way, if they can't get the ball to the guys they need to get to, Myers and Adams, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. They're just going to continue to lose. And I'll say this on air. How about this, Chris Wynn? 
bait this for me. We should be glad that Mark Davis owns the WNBA, basically, right, with the Aces, because he's not winning a Super Bowl anytime soon in the NFL. Book that. Great take, too, Tim, right? And think about it. He is outstanding when it comes to being an owner in the WNBA, but it leaves a lot to be desired, him as an owner in, in the NFL. Look, I get it. We're, we're on uh, one of the flagships, in, and so, you know, being critical sometimes can be, can be tough to take, but I'm sorry. It just... The, the results have not been there with Mark Davis as as uh, the owner of the Las Vegas Raiders. And I, I, look, I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm not a Raider fan. I, I'm not also not a Raider hater as well, too, right? I'm someone who's been a long time Las Vegas. I've been here for over 20 years, and so I have an interest as far as wanting teams here to succeed. So I'm I don't have any any real uh, animus towards Mark Davis. I think Mark Davis is a great guy. I think he's a nice guy. I've met him, you know, numerous times. I have, I have no problem with him whatsoever. But I mean, when you have a, you have a game like this where the Chicago Bears they can't do anything really offensively uh, of note. You got you know Santos out there kicking field goals. You got Tremaine Edwards Edmonds, you know, picking off, uh, you know, a, a, picking out with a big interception. You got Jalen Johnson out there picking off both quarterbacks for the Raiders and Brian Hoyer and then Aiden O'Connell later on. One of those was for you know a pick six. Uh, against obviously against Hoyer, and then you know from a defensive standpoint, look, I mean the, the offensive line for the Bears was solid, and the guy on defense who you expect to step up for the Raiders, right? The guy that's supposed to be a difference maker for them, he's got one sack in Max Crosby, right? So, um, I mean it's just it, it was just a kind of it's kind of a it gives a feel to me of uh, and you talked about Aiden O'Connell, right? And the whole perception of uh, you know. Guys that played big in preseason, you gotta you gotta set that to the side. Well, I I was in agreement with you, Tim, on that. I absolutely am in, on board with that, and I'm picking up what you're putting down. The problem is, is that I think some of the powers that be with the Raiders, i.e., Coach McDaniel's and others, um, and also, well, look, and a lot of the fans did too. After they saw the preseason, you want to anoint the guy as being like the next guy who could be a franchise quarterback, and it just hasn't, you know, kind of worked out that way. When it comes to Aiden O'Connell, so uh, the jury's still out, is I guess you know the analogy I'll use, and you know is the take I'll have when it comes to Aiden O'Connell being an NFL quarterback, and uh, he didn't do any himself any favors in this football game as well too. But I don't put it all on him I, for obvious reasons, because uh, I think that uh, this just is not, uh, you know, if you want to talk about chemistry and how and whether or not it exists, I think that it is. Uh, a very problematic term is the way I'll put it when it comes to all things Las Vegas Raiders right now, particularly on, from an offensive standpoint. You can't go – here's my biggest thing about it. And I thought when you look at the schedule and the Raiders' three wins, Chris Wynn, are against, I would say, teams that are of equal or lower than talent well, – talent-wise – the Raiders are definitely better than these teams. But if you look at the scale of the standings right now, their wins are against the Broncos, the Packers, and the Patriots, all teams below them record-wise. And yep. probably in the same group, I guess you could say, right? If you're going to group these teams, they're in that same group. The Bears would also be in that that uh, that grouping. So you have to expect that they were going to come out and win this game, go on a three-game winning streak, be 4-2 and two, or 4-3, and three, Heading into a matchup, by the way, next Monday night. I know you're looking forward to this. Next Monday night in Detroit on, on Monday Night Football. And, yep. and, you know, have a little momentum behind him. And maybe, 
maybe they, they start to find it. You know, Garoppolo comes back. Uh, they put it together. Maybe they get a win on the road again, and then they, they go back into a weaker, I say a weaker part, with the Giants and the Jets coming up before they really get into the meat and potatoes of a hard schedule here come November. But you can't lose games like this, and that's the problem. You want to blame Josh McDaniels and the offensive coordinator all you want. The defense didn't look good today either, so you got to blame somebody on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, the, just the whole team as a whole. I don't even blame McDaniels right now. The whole team just stinks. There's nothing else you can say about it. And the problem is uh, firing the head coach when you just did this a couple years ago during the season, it's not, it's not going to turn around anything, right, Chris? Nobody's coming in to save this team. If they don't find a way to right this ship, if, if maybe Garoppolo can come back and, and go on a roll here, maybe we can talk about securing a wild card spot in the playoffs somewhere. But I just don't see it, man. And long term, I think McDaniels is probably done. If, if he's not done during the season, he's done at the end of the season. And, and here we go again, the carousel of coaches. And that's the problem with Mark Davis I think he's running into because I agree with you. The guy's always been um, a nice nice to me in person. He's very, very fan-friendly. He really cares about his product. It's just he's in this wicked carousel of uh, coaching and who to believe, I guess, to run the football operations. So it's, it's a tough, tough spot to be in. You just can't lose games like this, and they were never in this football game, Chris. They, they, they just there's it. At, I'd say halfway through the second quarter, in my mind, I'm like, they're not. I can't even see them scoring, and they didn't until the fourth quarter. So, plenty. You can't lose to a team with a, a basically a, a scrub quarterback in badge. And I'm saying that because I didn't see anything that made me think that he's the next coming of, of Pat Mahomes out there. I don't know what to say, man. It was just an embarrassment to watch that. And a couple of quick points, obviously, before we move on to the next game, on the schedule and on what you said regarding McDaniel. Schedule-wise, look, I was in the camp of probably a lot of people that thought the Raiders were going to be 4-3 and three after this game against the Bears because, you know, Captain Obvious, I thought they are going to beat the Bears. And uh, I really thought there was a good chance they could be 6-4, and four, right, after 10 games because I thought that they're going to go to Detroit, probably lose that game on Monday night, and uh, thought that uh, they would be okay against the Giants and the Jets. I don't feel that way anymore about this team. I think that uh, the Giants, especially what they've shown on defense today, that uh, they're going to give all kinds of problems to the Raiders. So from a schedule standpoint, it, because they lost this game, it kind of changes their trajectory throughout the rest of the season. Your point regarding McDaniels, look, when it comes to coaches, right, and when they get fired in the middle of the season, it doesn't even matter when they get fired. You get fired after week five, week 10, or week 14, right? It doesn't matter. It's not necessarily about bringing in a savior, right, or someone you think is gonna, uh, that's going to just fix everything. It's more about an indictment and saying, you know what, the previous regime, and in this case, if Josh McDaniels got fired, it would be the McDaniels regime, it just wasn't working, right? And we just need to go a different direction. So that's going to be kind of the, the the viewpoint I think that's taken. If 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 you know uh, Mark Davis and the powers that be make make a decision regarding him, I don't think they're going to. But I'm saying, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, I think it's more about an indictment than it is about finding the next safe. And I, I don't mind kind of ending this hour later talk because I think being in Vegas, Chris, a lot of people are Raider fans and they want to maybe. And nothing against other stations and nothing against uh, local media that portrays the Raiders in a, in a positive light because that's what you want to do with your home teams. But I think Absolutely. we, we, yeah. we kind of spin both ways. And you said it. It's tough being around uh, Raider fans and, and Raider media because they don't want to hear the other side of it. And I think when you look at who was the 
his name escapes me, but who was the interim coach last year or the year before? Uh, Rich Bisaccia. Right. When you had so-called fans and media, local media, saying that that guy should have gotten the head coaching job as permanent because of what he did uh, replacing Gruden during the season, that kind of just sums up and tells you out there what people are are ridiculously uh, faulty somewhere upstairs. Great guy. Very good, good, upbeat energy, but he has faults, and there's no way he should be a head coach in the NFL. And, and I heard his name pop up again. Some idiot popped his name up again on over on that their X form. If you're gonna, if you're gonna make the change, right, Chris? And you're looking towards the future, and you can't get a hot shot coordinator or a college coach you want to bring in, and you need a guy just to stand in. You're right. You're absolutely right. You kind of ride it out, change the culture a little bit, change the energy, and see what you yeah. can do, and then try and go and get who you want. They, look, when McDaniels came over, I had questions just like everybody else, and I'm sure you did as well. But you know what? He had a great uh, – he has obviously a great coordinator, and we'll leave it at that. So they made a mistake. Is it is it too early to say that? No, I don't think so. But it doesn't mean that in the NFL you can't go on a six-game winning streak and all of a sudden find yourself in a playoff situation. Because if they do find their way to the playoffs, Chris Wynn, Josh McDaniels isn't going anywhere. And, and that's oh, really how. Wait, I'll do right? Tim. I'll do you one better. If they are around 500 for the for the entire season, he's not going anywhere. And a quick point, by the way, I know we, we got to move on to the games, but a quick point regarding Rich Visaccia. The people mm-hmm. out there, and whether or not your media or your fans or your whatever or your football uh, fans that aren't fans of the Raiders. All right. There's an element there of, oh, yeah, they should have kept Richard Tatcha. That was the move. They should have done that. That was ridiculous getting rid of him. There's an element there of hot take slash Monday morning quarterback slash not realizing uh, the reality that is Rich Bisaccia as a coach in the NFL. Look, I I thought I was I uh, I applaud him for what what Mm -hmm. uh, he was able to do, what the Raiders were able to do, get to the playoffs under his watch over that short time period. But let's not let's not be disingenuous, folks. Okay, there's a reason why Rich Bisaccia has not been a head coach in this league, and he's been in the league for a long time. Okay, it's not as if he, he was somebody who was you know just lying in wait, looking for his opportunity, and you know, and he had all these chances to be a head coach. That's not the way it is. So I think it's a little bit kind of ridiculous for people to have this view that oh yeah yeah like it. I, I can't believe the Raiders would 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 cut ties with him and not bring him back. I mean, that was a mistake. <laughs> the idea that it's a mistake, right, Tim? That you, that right. you didn't retain Rich Bisaccia, and 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 that is, uh, and 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 you hire Josh McDaniels. That's you know that, as if that was a bad move. You can say it was a bad move. I, you know, Josh McDaniels at this point, you kind of infer, referring to what you're saying, as far as like uh, you know, we we already have a good gauge on what Josh McDaniels brings to the table. But the whole the whole thing with Josh with uh, with excuse me with Rich Bisaccia, and like oh my God that was that was the most ridiculous thing to do was to not retain him I think is is a little bit rich, on uh, on the on the on the uh, the point of uh, all things silver and black and Raider fan. See when, one of our friends said that I know you remember this we were one hundred percent yeah flabbergasted yeah it's like what are you being serious right now he was serious, uh, but hey. I defer to uh, <laughs> I defer to the big wigs that, that make the decisions, and you gotta gotta stick with what you got. And you're right. I think if they if they make a, a nice little run here in the second half of the games, 
And maybe they just missed the playoffs barely. I think you're right. I think they got to bring him back because it's. I don't really know what else you can do. It's, it's, it's the Raider. This Raider thing could get worse, definitely a lot quicker than it's going to get better. And um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I, I know you're looking forward to Monday night. Is that is that a Monday night? Do you work or are you going to be on location somewhere watching that one, man? I will be on location, Tim Oglesby, at a local watering hole of my choice here in Las Vegas. Now I was thinking about going the Brian Feldman route. Now our colleague there, Brian Feldman, who hosts the show right there in the morning on Fox mm-hmm. Sports Radio here in Vegas, he will be in Detroit for that game. Uh, look, it, it's not really uh, like a monumental thing to be back there because uh, the Ford Field, you know, the the, the, uh, the Raiders have played at Ford Field multiple times, but it's going to be a big deal when the Raiders come here, excuse me, when the Lions come here to play the Raiders. Unfortunately for us Lions fans, that's not going to happen for at least another four years because of uh, you know how the NFL schedule works out. So Lions fans and um, Chicago Bears fans are getting kind of screwed, Tim, when it comes to the whole the experience at Allegiant Stadium, seeing their team come here to play the Raiders because of uh, how things shook out with the NFC North and the schedule with the AFC West. Will you be at this local watering hole that a guy named Clay Baker attends as well? I think that could be a severe possibility. Also, our friend Matt Visca, friend of the show. Uh, okay. By the way, not a very happy Buffalo Bills fan uh, will probably be in attendance as well, too. And uh, I, I don't know what Visca's pick was. Was it, Tim? But he, I think he went down, too, today. He, he lost He lost his pick by a point, so I'm sure he's all around un- unhappy tonight. You know, Tough way to go. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we're going to... Take the hour timeout, Mr. Angel. When we come back, we'll finish up week seven in the NFL. we got a Monday nighter we're going to preview, Chris and I, as the Niners are on the road at Minnesota to take on the Vikes. We've got some Major League Baseball. We're going to try to squeeze in some hockey. Power packed. Hour number two here on Heat Wave Sports Super Sunday Night, Fox Sports Radio. Big hour number two scheduled for you here on Heat Wave Sports. The Super Sunday Night Edition, Tim Oglesby and Chris Wynn taking you through the midnight hour as we begin another week. New work week, a new uh, last week of the month here in October. So, Chris, we're down to roughly about 60 days till the new year. This year went by pretty quick. I think we say that a lot now, though, as we get older, right? Doesn't it? This year goes by really quick, man. It's not only quick, though, right, Tim? It's just the plethora and the packed-in sports that goes on when it comes to all things vegas you want to talk about everything going on man i mean come on vegas golden knights nfl aces just cap off you know championship number two you got you know nascar that was in in town i mean and it's so much across the board going down major league baseball playoffs not here but still we we pay attention to it i mean it is bananas isn't it tim when it comes to all things going down from a sports standpoint you got the F1 coming next month. NBA starts up next. It's Yeah, you're right. There's just always something. College sports, college basketball coming. It's going to be fun. I'm, you know, uh, you you obviously get a chance to talk not only on Heat Wave Sports, but, and you're all over the dial doing things. Again, let everybody know, first of all, and I had to, it took me a little bit to transition to this, but I know you're active over there on that X social media. I know you're on couple different places every week it seems like just let everybody know about chris Wynn, and you know they don't always have to listen to heat wave sports to hear you because you're you're around 
Yeah, very fortunate, Tim. Uh, great to be a part of the Heat Wave sports team, but also great, you know, to jump on over with SportsX Radio with Ken Thompson over there on uh, K Dawn. Of course, uh, I also, you know, spent some time with uh, Brian Feldman on the morning show right here on Fox Sports Radio here in Las Vegas and uh, with Lotus. Uh, of course, I had a long time, uh, long time uh, on air personality at Lotus, whether it was at ESPN, Fox Sports Radio, or 920, the game as well, too. But uh, also on the dials, also uh, during the week over on, uh, uh, over at K Shop, whether it's whether it's a TC Martin show or whether it's a uh, Shapiro show, pushing limits over there too. So uh, all over the dials, and uh, it's mostly sports, right? I get to chime in as a as a sports talking head. It's always a lot of fun, but occasionally some other topics as well too. So uh, whether it's uh, on on those stations or on social media, as you pointed out, on X and beyond, from Instagram and beyond, uh, if if anybody has uh, has any issues, right? You want you want to. You want to, uh, you know, go back and forth when it comes to my, some of my sports takes. You can find me all over, whether it's on on X at Christian Win or on Instagram, Facebook, and beyond at uh, Christian W Win as well too, and C Win seventy seven. Let's steamroll through the rest of Week Seven of the National Football League. So, Chris, every Sunday, my routine is I'll uh, after I take a nap. I work Saturday night. I'll take a nap. I'll get up in time to, you know, get ready hunker down on the couch, turn on that direct ticket, I guess they call it another NFL ticket. It's not only on direct TV. It's not on direct TV anymore, actually. It's, I got it off of YouTube yep. uh, premium. Punch up my, my Ravens because that's what I watch. Sat down and watched right from the gate here, Chris, a, a nice seven-play, 75-yard drive touchdown. They get the ball back a, a few series later, 11 plays, 68 yards, touchdown. Second quarter, eight plays, 92 yards. Such a, the common theme here was that Baltimore, in a 38-6 to win over your Detroit Lions, was able to just consistently, their offense seemed to just click for the first time, I think, this year, where it really looked dominant. And it was fun to watch because I'd been frustrated with this team at 4-2. and two. In my mind, I'm like, Wow, if this new offense needs to do something because this team should be six and zero, and we're looking at teams, you know, having leads and losing those leads and not being able to score in the second half. And and again today, I don't think they really needed to score because it was a twenty-eight nothing deficit at at the uh, at the half for Detroit. But I thought for a while there, I was watching Tecmo Super Bowl, Chris, as the Ravens rolled up five hundred yards today on your Lions. Yeah, this was the best case scenario that Ravens fans, I'm sure, expected. When Lamar, Jans- Lamar Jackson returned to this team, and uh, you have new offensive coordinator Todd Munkin, right? You have yeah. number eight going out there, finding open receivers deep in the secondary, all over the place, scrambling when he needed to, and then guiding Baltimore to touchdown after touchdown. That's exactly what happened in this football game, Tim, as Baltimore reached the end zone, what, four times before Detroit was even able to get a first down on Sunday? It was a surprise, obviously, when you're talking about two division leaders, both teams sitting at, uh, uh, well, one team sitting at four and two, the other sitting at five and one, and uh, looking to kind of expand on their season. But this was, at, you used the word, dominant when it came to the Baltimore Ravens as they just trounced Detroit 38 to six in this game. Jackson, of course, uh, almost throws for 360 and a few touchdowns. And you want to talk about a passer rating of near perfect? 155.8 for for Lamar Jackson in this game, and he also ran for a touchdown. Obviously, from a Detroit perspective, defensively, you just can't have games like this, and that's something that uh, Dan Campbell talked about. I wasn't too happy 
as a fan of uh, all things Honolulu Blue and Silver, Tim Ugglesby, to have Dan Campbell say after the game, well, maybe this is something that could help us that we uh, end up on the losing end of a game like this. I'm not big on the old, oh, yeah, we can get something out of a loss. I'd, I'd much rather prefer that uh, that's something maybe thought but not said out loud. Um, Jared Goff, not, not a great game for him in this football game. I guess if you're going to look at positives when it comes to the Detroit Lions, it's good that you get back Gibbs on the field there and he's able to be productive, uh, particularly in the, in the, uh, in, in the second, second half for them. And uh, Amon Ross St. Brown did what Amon Ross St. Brown does, where he you know has a, has a ton of catches and a bunch of yards. But uh, the Lions have to rebound from this loss. Uh, you know, I'm not going to sit back and say that uh, everybody was waxing poetic on all things Detroit when it came to the NFL, but there was kind of an element of that in which, uh, you know, and look, I mean, it's justified. I mean, there are a team that was five and one sitting atop of the NFC with the likes of Philadelphia and San Francisco, I think are two better teams than Detroit is. But uh, that being said, uh, yeah, you, you got to take it on the chin here and kind of regroup. And uh, it, it, it's obviously, I think, a good thing that you've got the Las Vegas Raiders coming to town for a Monday night tilt at Ford Field coming up next week. If you look at the top teams in the AFC preseason, it was Kansas City, Buffalo, Miami, Baltimore, Jacksonville. After seeing, I would say we've seen now Baltimore at their best. We've seen Kansas City probably at their best. Buffalo, that week, the week two game against the Raiders, they look like probably their best. Uh, Miami's looked good numerous times this year. I think Jacksonville, maybe they haven't had that complete all-out dominant game yet, but they've looked uh, in pieces like a, a team that they could be reckoned with in the playoffs, Chris. Of those five, where do you rank the Ravens in that list? Three, four? Yeah, I'd probably put them at four right now mm-hmm. of those teams. Uh, you know, I was always taking a look at Kansas because they're talking about the top five right overall in the NFL, and I was always taking a look at the Chiefs and the, and the Miami Dolphins as those two teams. And I still, I still, still, yeah, I mean, uh, well, look, the Bills lost today, so that kind of leads into my argument, but I still think Miami is the second best team in the AFC behind the Kansas City Chiefs. I just do. So, uh, I, but, but I probably put them at four. I, look, I mean, do I think they're uh, a steadfast Super Bowl, Super Bowl contender? Probably not. But I think they can make some noise in the AFC playoffs, and I think that uh, they could certainly throw a monkey wrench into the situation when it comes to the uh, playoffs. That's just, I mean, Tim, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, uh, you know, pour cold water on you, but bro, but uh, that's just my personal opinion. I'm thinking about, you know, thinking about all things Ravens. But that being said, I mean, I mean, it was impressive what they were able to do. Look, I mean, this is a Detroit Lions team today. They won four straight games, all by at least 14 points. They scored at least 20 points in 15 kids. 15 consecutive games, Mr. Ugglesby. The Lions have scored 20 points at least. But the Lions were just no match on both sides of the football for the Ravens in this game. And from a defensive standpoint for the Ravens, look, you know, Kyle Van Noy, a guy that was drafted by Detroit, by the way, back in 2014, had two of Baltimore's five sacks. And then it's, uh, it's big time that you get, you know, Geno Stone in the mix with, uh, you know, getting his fourth interception of the season, too. So it's not just all about Lamar Jackson. And the offense, and, you know, and by the way, uh, Gus Edwards, uh, again, another fantasy point, Tim, as far as I'm concerned, I had Gus Edwards on the bench, guy goes for 20 <laughs> points, but uh, it was big for them to get him going on the ground as well, too, 
But uh, it's not just all about the offense for this Baltimore team. It's defensively what they can do. And uh, a couple of those guys are key, key reasons why I mentioned that. Head on over to Seattle where Geno Smith, two touchdowns to the air. Kenneth Walker, the third, 100 yards on the ground. And the Hawks, Mr. Wynn, now 4-2 and two with a 2010 victory over the Cardinals. Yeah, and uh, it's really the first real chance that we get to see uh, Smith and Jigma, right? Uh, having, a, yeah. having a big-time impact. Jake Bobo also is someone who uh, was, was notable in this game. And uh, look, the, it, Seattle's very fortunate to have those two guys. Now, you know, Kenneth Walker is kind of a, a, a stalwart for this offense. He's going to be a huge cog for them throughout the entire season. But, uh, you know, look, D, DK Metcalf out with an injury, right? And, and by the way, missed his first game of the career, uh, of his career, by the way. It is huge to get Njigma and Bobo into the mix there for Seattle. So, I mean, look, I, I, I got to be honest, Tim, right? You look at this, when you think of teams in the NFC that kind of are kind of being overlooked, and look, I get it. They're playing Arizona, who's one and six. But don't you get the feel, Tim, that the Seahawks are kind of one of those teams that are overlooked because they play in the in the NFC West and they are I mean, but they're sitting at four and two right now. And you had, you know, Geno Smith coming off a big season like he had last year. Do you get that? Does that does that pop into your mind, Tim, as far as this team and and uh and people just kind of sleeping on them. Yeah, hundred percent. Tommy, Tommy actually loved him, and when we did the preseason re, uh, previews, he he said, "Watch Seattle, and it's they're sneaky. That's the thing. They're young and they're sneaky." And Gino, you were looking for um, what he would do. He's got paid, right, Chris? He deserved the the contract. He earned that contract, and we were looking to see where he was going to go. Had that rough start in week one, but he he settled down and. Yeah, I agree with you. And in that division, you know, you're kind of looking up at San Francisco, but the same notion is you got to make the playoffs. And once you make the playoffs, anything can happen. We've seen that in all major sports. I think Seattle is definitely a dark horse. That Still, even at 4-2, and two, right, Chris? Nobody's talking about them. No, and uh, look, I brought up some, you know, some of the offensive pieces that they have, but um, it, was, it was also key playing that game, too. You know, D.J. Humphreys gets kicked out in that second quarter when he had that, you know, they made that contact play. And then you know Dobbs gets picked off. I mean Devon Weatherspoon, right? I mean, it, I mean they got they have some pieces on defense. No, they're not the Legion of Doom. It's not. Or let's not get crazy. But Pete Carroll talked about it from a defensive standpoint, and and he was he was ultra pleased about uh, the consistency defensively and how the Seahawks were able to go out there in the second half. And I get it. You're going against Dobbs. You, you don't have you know they don't have uh, James Conner uh, in the backfield because of injury for them. But to be, you know, he was pumped up about how they, you know, about the job they were able to do, and at halftime going out there and basically shutting down the Cardinals from an offensive standpoint. How about this one? Seventy-two points scored in the Browns Colts game today in Indianapolis, including a wild finish back and forth. Each team with a chance to win, and Cleveland draws last blood. Mister Win thirty-nine, thirty-eight. They get the win on a Kareem Hunt score. So, Tim, you think about games and teams and what are their strengths, right? When it comes to the Colts and the Browns, there's no way anybody thought this was going to be a 39-38 to type game. That was kind of insane as well, too, which kind of adds to the whole wackiness that I pointed out on social media as to 
this NFL Sunday. But, uh, yeah, Cleveland Browns get that touchdown from Kareem Hunt. Now, obviously, the Cleveland defense was monstrous in this game. Miles Garrett, you know, flexing his muscles pretty much. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, and by the way, it was kind of confusing. The whole uh, – we talked about the Raiders situation at quarterback. How about the, how about the Cleveland Browns, right? Like, all weekend, it was pretty much uh, – expected that Deshaun Watson was going to play. And then, it, you know, it ends up PJ Walker ends up getting in there and, uh, and just kind of, you know, holds down the fort essentially, uh, you know, because Watson got hurt in that first quarter, of course, you know, and he, he directs that second straight fourth quarter comeback. And uh, of course that uh, was highlighted by Hunt's second touchdown of the day with 15 seconds left. But Stefanski talked about it. Look, I mean, you want to talk about a gritty win. I mean, that's exactly what this was. And, and Stefanski was using words like grit. He was using words like toughness and moxie and stuff, talking about this. But uh, it, 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 there's, hey, Tim, let's be honest. There's not going to be any style points when it comes to this game for the Cleveland Browns. But the Cleveland Browns are four and two, man. And, you know, they've got one of the league's stingiest defenses that scores points. The defense just doesn't just go out there and shut people down, they go out there and actually score points. And that's a big plus for a team that's in a division where there's some uh, teams that aren't exactly performing up to par. And so, uh, again, I talked about my watering holes, right, Tim, in Vegas and spots that I hit. There happens to be one out here on uh, Charleston. They're not a sponsor, but it is uh, one of my favorite spots. It is a Cleveland Browns bar right here uh, in between Decatur and Jones. On, on, and, and they were uh, fired up beyond all get out as the Cleveland Browns were able to pull out this victory over uh, their AFC rivals, the Indianapolis Colts. Cleveland four and two. The Steelers also four and two as they were down here on the left coast. Fourteen points in the fourth quarter for the Steelers as they get their second consecutive come from behind win, twenty four seventeen over the Rams. So Pittsburgh doing it ugly as well, Chris. The defense has been phenomenal. They are having problems uh, moving the ball, but it seems like. Last week against Baltimore, they were able to put themselves in a position to win the game, and they did. And then again today in L.A., uh, running the ball, they get uh, timely opportunities, and they click, they cash on them. And that's, that's a Tomlin trait. If you know Mike Tomlin like we do, that is a Tomlin trait to take advantage of turnovers, and they did it again today. Steelers now 4-2, and two, as I said, right behind Baltimore in the AFC North. Yeah, I was checking out a good portion of this game, Tim, and uh, you did get uh... – a feeling that the Rams, it was one of those games the Rams were going to find a way to win. And uh, things just didn't happen their way in the second half. You had Jalen Warren, of course, and as you pointed to the running game for the Steelers, both Najee Harris and Jalen Warren getting touchdowns in that fourth quarter, uh, which awoke, uh, you know, from a quiet offensive day up until that point. And this is, uh, you know, an offensive coordinator in Matt Canada who's just been hammered left and right. I mean, you want to talk about coordinators in the NFL who have been catching flack since the beginning of the season, Matt Canada is uh, there's pretty much nobody he's second to none as far as guys who have got destroyed. But they're able to finally find some holes in that Los Angeles uh, three four that, that Los Angeles defense there in the fourth quarter, racking up a uh, you know three long drives that uh, ended up being two touchdowns and a chance to run out the clock. Of course, the situation there at the end of the game was intriguing as well too because Kenny Pickett got a very generous spot. Let's put it that way, right, Tim? when it came to converting that fourth and one on the Los Angeles 38 on the final snap at two, before the two-minute warning. Obviously, that changes the entire football game because you're handing the ball back to Matthew Stafford, who has a 
history of fourth quarter comebacks. And that was not to be, obviously, because they gave him the generous spot. And then McVay couldn't challenge the spot because the Rams were out of timeouts. And uh, the play occurred just outside the window of uh, the two-minute warning, and which would have resulted in a booth review. So uh, kind of a tough rake, right, for the Rams there. But uh, still impressive either way that the Steelers are able to go on the road and get a win against a uh, against a team that was three and three at the time in, in the Los Angeles Rams. One more from today, Chris. The Atlanta Falcons on a young Hoku field goal walk it off and take a road victory from Tampa, 16-13. After the first quarter, only scoring five field goals the rest of the way for both teams. A pretty. Uh, if you're looking for scoring, this wasn't it. It was the Cleveland-Indianapolis game, obviously. If you like defensive battles, I'm not going to say these are two stellar defenses and maybe two faulty offenses. Maybe a mixture of both, Chris, but either way, a win's a win. The Falcons get win number four on the road, 16-13. Atlanta thanking their lucky stars for late-game heroics, right? Uh, Desmond Ritter was just mistake-prone as you can be uh, early on in this football game. Three fumbles you know, deep in Bucks territory, as well as a ton of, you know, uh, costly penalties on defense for Atlanta, really kind of stymied them. And, uh, or, excuse me, for, uh, excuse me, for, uh, he was able to overcome that, I should say, as far as the Bucks are concerned, and uh, able to rally for that 16-13 win. You got Ritter with that touchdown run for an early 7 nothing lead. And then he's, his ability to kind of shug off those mistakes were big time then, and then he gets that uh, you know almost forty yard pass to Kyle Pitts, that so, uh, that sets up Ku's uh, third field goal of the game, uh, which was not a chip shot, being at fifty one yards, as uh, time expired to 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 give Tampa Bay that uh, to give them to three hundred, and their third loss in four games for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I took this on the chin, of course, with my uh, best bets, as uh, I was uh, all over the Buccaneers in this game, so. Uh, this is an Atlanta team penalized nine times for 60 yards. And with six of those flags were in Tampa Bay's uh, resulting in the Bucks getting first downs and you still win the game. I mean, that was kind of odd how that all shook out. So uh, thank their lucky stars, right, Tim? If you're the Atlanta Falcons, that you're able to escape uh, Tampa St. Pete with a victory in this one. Tomorrow night we'll wrap up week seven over on – ESPN Monday Night Football San Francisco at Minnesota the Niners five and one Vikings two and four and really they cannot afford um, well number one they can't afford losses they can't afford home losses because they have zero and three there at U.S. Bank Stadium on the season and we know Kirk Cousins' dilemma when he plays in prime time because it's not good Niners are a touchdown favorite tomorrow on the road. Obviously, this is a San Francisco team and uh, their quarterback, Black, Brock Purdy, looking to bounce back, right, from that disappointing uh, is an understatement loss at Cleveland 1917 last week, including uh, his first interception of the season in 2023. I mean, uh, what, what a great problem to have, right, where you, you have one interception and it's looked at like, a, like it's something so brutal for your team. But, uh, look, uh, you know that when uh, it comes to this matchup between the 49ers and the Vikings, Brian Flores, defensive coordinator for the Vikings, he is going to pull out all the stops, right, Tim? Uh, he's going to basically empty the playbook with uh, the amount of defensive pressures that he can find. 
And uh, you brought up, of course, you know, Kirk Cousins and him on the big stage. Um, uh, to me, if the Vikings have a chance in this football game, I mean, it's going to have they're going to have to be ultra aggressive. I mean, that's the only way that uh, that the Vikings are going to be able to, to to be in this football game. Um, you're talking about blitz rates up, up, upwards of over 80 percent that they've had this year in which they've been successful. I mean, when the, when their defense is coming strong like that, then they're then they're difficult to deal with. And obviously, offensively, you know, you've got to be able to to kind of get things going. T.J. Hawkinson has to be major for for this for this Minnesota team. He's a guy. Uh, it almost seems, look you can you can talk about the other skill position players all you want, but Hawkinson really uh, has formed a solid connection with with Kirk Cousins, and I think that's something that uh, is going to be big for them. Um, look from the Viking standpoint, Jordan Hicks a big part of that as well too. Um, look, uh, Bur- uh, Purdy's going to be after it's it, it's going to come down to Purdy where, uh, and how he handles the blitz, blitz pressure that Minnesota sends his way. And uh, uh, do we know yet what the status is when it comes to Christian McCaffrey? Apparently, he's going to play, but I don't know exactly what his status is as far as the injury and what it, and how much impact it's going to have on him. But uh, we know Debo Samuel's out, right? So he's out for sure. Right. But I don't know exactly what the situation is regarding Christian McCaffrey as well. Yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on that tomorrow as the game gets closer. That's the Monday Nighter, San Francisco, Minnesota. And then, of course, we'll move into week eight and talk about it next Sunday night here on Heat Wave Sports. So we're going to take our final timeout. And when we come back, we'll reset, move over to the Diamond. We had a game six tonight, which is going to lead to a game seven tomorrow night and also another game six tomorrow afternoon. We'll break that all down for you, as well as a little NHL hockey. The season is young, but the Knights are on fire already to start it. All that, we'll wrap it up. Here on the other side of the timeout, it's E-Wave Sports. Tim Unglesby, Chris Wynn, Fox Sports Radio. Now back to E-Wave Sports. I'm going to wrap it up here with some non-football. Tim Unglesby and Chris Wynn, Super Sunday Night E-Wave Sports. Overreaction Sunday. So let's overreact on some baseball. Mr. Wynn, tonight we saw a Game 6 happen in Houston. So... In this series, the road team has won every game, right? The Rangers win games one and two in Houston, only to have the Astros come back there at Globe Life and take three straight from the Rangers. And then tonight with Houston, a chance to wrap it up. Texas Bats came back alive. 9-2, they get the win. Mr. Wynn setting up a game seven tomorrow night in Houston. Max Scherzer, who was bombed earlier in this series by the Astros against Christian Javier, who has a 2-0 record with a 1.69 earned run average for the right to play in the World Series. And and how about this? Both teams, Chris, 90 and 72 on the year. Both teams now tied 3-3 in the series. Pretty even as you can get, but consider this too. Don't think, right, Chris, if the game gets close late, and you got a guy like Justin Verlander sitting there over there on the bench. He'll be available in this in this Game 7 situation. Yeah, we've seen this scenario present itself many times, right, Tim, when it comes to these types of uh, Game 7s or elimination games, quite frankly, where you, all hands on deck, and that's exactly the case here. Look, another big-time matchup when it comes to 
Texas-sized teams, right? And uh, this Lone Star State showdown, um, everything's bigger in Texas. And, uh, hey, Game 7 can't get any bigger. Uh, how about Nathan Nivaldi, though, right? I mean, it's perfect on the postseason. The guy is uh, just all he does is win and just come up big in situations when he has to. Uh, you love seeing uh, both Mitch and Jonah homer early on in this game if you're Texas Ranger fans. And, of course, you saw Garcia with the uh, kind of, you know, things kind of broke open, obviously, in the ninth inning when they, you know, when you get a grand slam and uh, the final score ends up being 9-2. But uh, how about being a, a road team? in this series, right? Every single team that's been on the road has won a game in this series. So uh, uh, from, from that standpoint, I guess uh, it bodes well for the Texas Rangers. But, uh, you know, uh, you got the matchup with Javier going against Scherzer. But uh, I mentioned Uvalde. But uh, how about uh, uh, the situation regarding Framber Valdez? Just wasn't good at all. I mean, it was just, uh, uh, you know, he ends up giving up five hits and three runs. Uh, with six Ks in five innings. Right now, 0-3 in the postseason for Framber Valdez with a, a 9.00 ERA in the postseason. So, uh, look, I mean, uh, the Houston Astros, they're 5-0 and on the road in the postseason, but uh, and uh, they won three in a row in Arlington wearing those orange jerseys back then. So, uh, but, but that's not going to be the situation here in this game seven. Now, uh, you know, this series joins the 2019 World Series, which Houston lost to Washington in seven games as, you know, the only best of seven series in postseason history, Tim, in which the road team has won the first six games of the season. And uh, also kind of interesting note, too, this is the first time the Rangers won an elimination game, Tim, since the postseason back in 2010. They won that game five against Tampa Bay when Cliff Lee pitched a, pitched a complete game in that 5-1 win for the Rangers. And uh, since then, they've lost five straight games in which they've, it's been an elimination game. So uh, another good streak to break if you're the Texas Rangers as well, too. So um, it doesn't help at all, does it, Tim, that the Astros went one for eight with runners in scoring position in this game? I mean, that's a, uh, another death knell for them as well, too. So, uh, look, I, I, I mean, I quite frankly, I'm not going to sit here and act like I can predict what's going to happen, but... Uh, uh, I, I might lean a little bit biased here, seeing Max Scherzer being on the hill for the Texas Rangers in this one, and him being, of course, a former Detroit Tiger and someone who uh, you know is going to be heading to the Hall of Fame. But uh, it's going to be a hell of a matchup here from a pitching standpoint and from an offensive standpoint. Let's see if the Texas Rangers can complete uh, uh, what has kind of panned out here in this series in which the road team is, ends up dominant and ends up winning. I'm going to lean – I'm going to go against the grain in this one, Chris, and I think that obviously you mentioned it, the road team being dominant in, in the series, uh, everything going that way, I think eventually has to come back to to normalcy, right? Normalcy, we have to do it that way. So give me the Astros tomorrow in a game seven. Javier has been money in the postseason. And, you know, you had mentioned Valdez earlier. He was their ace all year long. Last postseason, a huge, huge reason why the Astros won the World Series last year and just absolutely horrid in this <laughs> this postseason. So I think Javier gets the bounce back, and if you need a little help from Mr. Verlander to get the Ryan Presley to close this out, I think we could see that too. Um, but it's hard, it's hard to bet against the Rangers when those bats are hot. That's the thing, and it's going to be a fun one tomorrow night there 
in Houston. The Astros a dollar thirty favorite. If you're looking at uh, maybe putting a little money on this game, the afternoon game. How about this, Chris? Afternoon time, two oh seven over on TBS. Arizona in Philadelphia for game number six. The Phillies lead the series three games to two. Merrill Kelly for the D-backs tomorrow. I call him Mr. USA as he was a big part of the Team USA World Baseball Classic roster this past uh, season. Against Aaron Nola, who I wouldn't say struggled so much, but he struggled at times in the regular season, the ace for the Phillies. Well, not in the postseason, Chris. You see the stats just like I do. He's a perfect 3-0, and and he has an ERA under one in the playoffs right now. Diamondbacks, Phillies, what say you tomorrow? Obviously, you'd like, from an offensive standpoint, getting Schwarber, Harper, as well as Rilamoto, uh, you know, homering in that game to to give them the lead in this series. Look, I've been in the camp all, all this entire matchup between Arizona and Philadelphia. I think it's just a, a matter of uh, I, I kind of look at the Phillies as a team of destiny, Tim. Uh, that could be corny, but it also may be accurate. I just uh, – I love the whole dynamic that is the combination of veterans and young young talent out of this team. Um, I love the whole thing regarding uh, Bryce Harper and how he's been embraced in Philadelphia in that city. Look, he's a Las Vegas guy, but it's almost like he's a Philadelphia guy now. You know, I, I, I just it just it has that feel about him. And uh, you know, you know, JT Real Muto. Uh, look, not. It, it, with the exception of of uh, Trey Turner and Marsh, you know, are both uh, Marsh is hitting well over three hundred in the playoffs, and uh, and Harper and uh, Turner Turner's hitting over four hundred. Um, you know, they're still not even getting top tier offensive performances from the rest of the guys, and yet they're still they're still in the position that they're in. So, look, I get it. It's 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 uh, it's important to kind of focus on the pitching standpoint between these two teams as well, too, but. I just love what uh, Philadelphia is bringing to the table as far as their personnel, Tim, uh, just from an overall standpoint. And so I'm kind of leaning in that direction regardless of who's taking the hill for either the Diamondbacks or the Phillies. Who you got tomorrow, Chris? Phillies, obviously team of destiny. You got the Phillies. Yeah, I'm going to take Philadelphia. And I think it's yeah. going to be a tight game, but I just think that uh, somebody's going to make a play. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a Bryce Harper you know, or, or a Schwarber or, or a Trey Turner. I could, it could be, yeah, dare I say it, Tim, dare I say it? It could be like a Bryson Stott or, or yeah. you know, or, or a Rio Muto or even a Nick Castellanos. There we go again, Tim Othersby. Another guy that played with the old English D on his hat that is uh, in a postseason series. It's just, it's very difficult, Tim, to, you know, to, to, to see these guys just flourishing in the playoffs and not wearing the old English D. It's tough, my friend. You mentioned a Las Vegas duo and uh, to pull a Kenny Thompson here on Heatwave Sports and drop names, uh, school names here. Yep. You had Bryson Stott via the Desert Oasis High School. Absolutely. And UNLV, right, UNLV. And then Bryce, good old Bryce, Las Vegas High School and College of Southern Nevada. How about that? I pulled a Ken Thompson here on Heatwave Sports, Chris. I, I And a quick note here. Uh, so Desert Oasis High School, Tim, I was a celebrity judge as much as, uh, you know, a sports radio guy in Vegas can be a celebrity. Myself, along with uh, Chet Buchanan and a couple of others uh, in this Nevada, we were judges at a talent contest at Desert Oasis High School when Bryson Stott was there as a student. 
And I don't think he was actually in the contest, but I'm sure he was there in attendance because it was, you know, it was, you know, it was a packed auditorium there at, uh, uh, I, I believe they're the Diamondbacks, right? Desert Oasis High School. I believe they're the Diamondbacks. Correct. And uh, it was it was jam packed in there for that. So uh, a quick little footnote, Tim, when it comes to uh, a connection be- between myself, Heatway Sports, and of course uh, Bryson Stott and all things Desert Oasis High School. I mean, we can go down this seven degrees of separation for all night because, yeah. you know, you are a, uh, as we said, a radio personality. So you do a lot of things other than radio because you're a personality. Yeah. We just call you the radio personality because that's what you do most. But how about this? How about this, everybody? Chris Wynn, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon here. Chris Wynn did the uh, public address announcements for Meadows football last season for a game he subbed in which my kid, Aiden Otano, played on that team and is now in his senior year, Chris, and we're looking forward to a big baseball season over there at Meadows, hopefully to get him into a college. So you're connected there as well, my friend. The connections are everywhere, Tim Mugglesby, <laughs> with Heatwave Sports and Aiden, who is a who is a top tier prospect, my friend. Yeah, I'll say it. I know you got to be a proud dad. You got to be. You got to. You got to measure, and you're kind of modest. But I'll, I'll I'll say it. Yeah, he's out there. He's he could be playing. He could be playing later on, later later sooner than later. Hey, uh, absolutely a connection there when it comes to the middle school there, and uh, had a chance to uh, do that uh, little public address action for some football up there at the middle school. Good times. Yeah. Well, this, I'm going to go. So here here we go as we move on from baseball. Here's the parlay, Chris. Yep. Put put your money on the parlay tonight. We're doing Houston and we're doing Philly. How about that? Houston and Philly. Easy money. I like it. Yeah. It's smooth. I can, I, can, I can absolutely see it going down. <laughs> even though I just didn't – even though I just said I think that uh, the Rangers are probably going to keep the trend going, right, of the road teams winning. But I might have to jump on board with you, Tim. I might have to. Let's finish it off with some NHL. Season is young. We got Colorado off uh, undefeated. We got Boston undefeated. We got your Detroit Wind Wings at 5-1 and one right now. Big surprise. I think they're the biggest surprise of the National Hockey League. And, of course, you have the Vegas Golden Knights, Chris. 6-0, 12 points on the season. They've scored 25 goals. The most – or uh, they scored 25 goals right behind – Detroit, your team, and Carolina for goals so far through the first part of the season. They've only given up 11. So the defending Stanley Cup champions right here on Fox Sports Radio off to a fire, a fire of a start right now. And what a way to do it on a Saturday night, right, Tim, in the Windy City. Uh, basically, the uh, the first you know road trip, I guess we'll call it, of the season as uh, they're taking on, you know, Connor Bedard, obviously highly touted prospect in Chicago. Fans here in Vegas will get a chance to see him on Tuesday night here in town. But uh, Vegas getting goals from Nick Waugh, Mark Stone, and Paul Cotter in that third period as the uh, undefeated Golden Knights get that win against the Chicago Blackhawks. You mentioned the Detroit Red Wings, no question about it. Look, uh, the acquisition of, uh, of Alex Dabrinkit in Detroit has been huge. And now, look, it is it does kind of set up nicely because Alex Dabrinkit is a is a Michigan native, as is Dylan Larkin, who is the captain of that team. Who again, a Michigan native. So obviously, we are all loving it as fans of the Winged Wheel and the Detroit Red Wings to see two guys 
just absolutely uh, destroying it so far early on the season. But that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, it was uh, Alex Dabrinkit was absolutely sensational today in a win over the Calgary Flames, another quality hockey team, by the way, in the Western Conference. But Detroit looked really good, and they have so far the entire season. And uh, so it does. It gets it gets Detroit sports fans fired up, right, Tim? Because the prospect of dare I say it, the Detroit Lions coming to Vegas and playing in the Super Bowl, and then maybe you know the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, repeating as Western Conference champions, and if it, they happen to face the Detroit, a, a, a revamped, rejuvenated Detroit Red Wings team that has kind of wallowed in uh, either mediocrity or sub-mediocrity for the past six or seven years, uh, the idea that Detroit would play the Golden Knights in a Stanley Cup final, for those of us transplants here to Michigan, you brought up myself, you brought up Clay Baker, and uh, you know others like you know obviously Brian Feldman as well, others uh, would be extremely excited if those scenarios happen to play out. Now, we've got a long way to go. We get it. But, uh, yeah, the Vegas Golden Knights, without question, have been impressive as you can get when it comes to watching this team. I've obviously covered the team uh, for the first uh, first few games here at home. Uh, they have been uh, pretty much uh, unstoppable. It's crazy, too, Tim, and i got to get your take. It doesn't matter who's between the pipes, if it's Logan Thompson or if it's Aiden Hill. It's just a team that just keeps chugging along. And i got to say, and this is not hot takeish at all, uh, I don't know if Aiden Hill is the number one goaltender. I don't know if Bruce Cassidy and Sean Burke, who's the goaltender's coach, Berkey, those guys, I don't think they are dead set and sold that Aiden Hill is the guy, is the number one guy. There might be a back and forth here throughout the early part of the season where they legitimately are just going to try to make a determination as to whether or not one guy takes the reins and the other guy ends up being a backup. Tim, i got to get your take on what you think about the VGK goaltender situation. It's, it's, a, it's a good problem to have. I think you have to look at it that way. And I know you can look – there's obviously two sides to everything. And you don't want any type of – you don't want any type of competitive rivalry that goes bad on you. And I don't think you have that case with these two, two guys. I think it's – you know, obviously this team is um, – they're, they're champs. And – when you win, there's a completely different feel in that locker room that everything that you do is for the team. So if one has a bad game, maybe they go to the other one for the next game and, and you figure it out. But I think you're right. I think it's it's uh, 1A and 1B, right? I mean, it's the way it has to be. With you know, Having that just feeling that you know that you can go to either one of them, the way these guys are playing right now, it's, uh, it's really puts Vegas in a very, very – big advantage when you look at uh, depth because that's going to be the key is where, where injuries come in in the season and how it affects them, whether it's in, between the pipes or the blue line. But, you know, things happen, and we'll see. But they're, they're just playing unbelievable right now. It's just dominant. I, I, I want to say dominant because I think that's how they're playing. And, and, you know, get another test coming up here in a day. Tuesday they get – the Flyers at, at uh, T-Mobile. Are, are you going to that one, Chris? And are, you should be looking forward to that. Flyers are a competitive team as well. Yeah, I'll be there. And uh, when the Broad Street Brolies come to town, I misspoke. I mentioned that the, the Blackhawks are coming. It's not the Blackhawks. Blackhawks will be here on Friday. I believe it's Nevada Day, so it's an early puck drop there. I believe it's a 3 o'clock puck drop when the Blackhawks are in town. But uh, to that point, you brought up, Tim, right, as far as being dominant, 
This team was 5-0 and before the win on Saturday night against Chicago. It's the first time a Stanley Cup champion since the 1986 Edmonton Oilers were 5-0 to start the season. The Golden Knights are the first team ever in the history of the NHL. I mean, this team, it's just kind of kind of remarkable and wild, right, Tim? Sometimes, like the, the first that this team engages in. Um, they're the first team ever to be a Stanley Cup champion and be 6-0. and And look, Tim, they, they could easily be, be 8-0. I mean, I, I mean, look, Philadelphia is not a, is not a great hockey club. They're okay, but I mean, it's not like you're going to look at this matchup and say, "Oh yeah, the, the Phillies going to come in here and and handle their business against the Golden Knights." And then they, of course, they take on a two and four Chicago team on Friday when they come in here. So I, you, I mean, it it is absolutely not out of the realm of possibility that the uh, Vegas Golden Knights will be eight zero. I thought, look, to be honest with you, I thought the hiccup could have been. And when you're talking about these early season games, I thought the first loss was going to be that matchup in Winnipeg, right? Up there in Manitoba against the Jets, because that's a quality team in the West that they're going to be dealing with, particularly from a postseason standpoint, I think. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you just have to be impressed. Like, again, I say the same thing I said about the Raiders, right, Tim? And I think you're on board with me on this. Uh, we're, not, we're not Vegas Golden Knights fans, okay? We are not Las Vegas Raider fans, all right? Uh you're, I, I'd expect you're probably a UNLV fan because I think you went there, right? So you're a UNLV guy. I uh, am not necessarily a UNLV fan. I, I, I moved here, and I've covered the team for a long time. So, I, I again, I look at this team from a different perspective. So I don't sit back and, and root for the Vegas Golden Knights. I have another team that I root for, and that I'll root for until I no longer have a breath in my lungs. But uh, the point being is that uh, you've got to give credit where credit is due. And I think the addition of Bruce Cassidy to this team, I think that uh, the mix that this team puts out there on the ice is special. And I find no reason whatsoever to think that they're not going to be the mix for a Stanley Cup championship here in 23-24. I'm with you. I think 8-0 is definitely a strong possibility come Friday afternoon or Friday evening when, when that game is done over at T-Mobile. For me, I thought possibly... The opening game may have been a situation where you're having that Stanley Cup hangover and Seattle, a team that made the playoffs last year for the first time, a good young team with some veterans sprinkled in, but they came through that. And then I kind of circled Dallas as a possibility too. Last game before they hit the first true uh, road trip, mm -hmm. they, they came out of that with a shootout win. And now I like I like 8-0 and possibly 9-0 on Saturday at the Kings, but that back-to-back, -back, we'll see how that works out for them, Chris. But you got you're right they're already in the mix for uh not only would be a Stanley Cup championship but a back-to-back -back Stanley Cup championship but you know it's a long long season my friend and a quick note before we before we close things out you and I Tim we are not rooters okay that we don't come from it from a viewpoint of where we're just going to wax poetic on all things VGK or Raiders or UNLV or Aces and beyond right we just don't do that's not our thing we're going to lay it out how we feel and hopefully everybody respects that and understands that and can uh and can get on board with that of course of course yeah. and i know they respect well a lot of people probably do respect us they listen in and we appreciate everybody that does support heatwave sports over here on fox sports radio over on twitter at hw sports at tom barton sports or i'm sorry the x Chris, again, uh, leave all your deets and let everybody know where you're at during the week because we are about out of here, my man. 
Yeah, find me at X, formerly Twitter, at Christian Wynn. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at C Wynn, uh, Christian Wynn. And also on, excuse me, on Instagram at CWIN77 and all over the dial here in the Las Vegas Valley. And uh, as, Tim, as Tim, you just pointed out, uh, jump on our social medias. If you have a beef with some of our takes, we love it. Going back and forth, right, Tim? That's it, man. That's it. Chris, pleasure as always, my friend. Have a good week, sir. For Chris Wynn, for Angel back at the Lotus Broadcast Studios, thank you to him. I'm Tim Mungles. We have a great sports week. We'll be back Sunday night at 10 o'clock right here on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Have a great sports week.